A pastor in Kansas City had a vision for his people to make a difference in their neighborhood. And so he phoned up the local grocery store and said, we would like to do this project where we do some random acts of kindness and we want to we want to clean up the parking lot. We want to retrieve shopping carts. We want to hold umbrellas for some of the people that are shopping. We want to help them put their groceries in the car. And, and the, the man said, let me get this straight. You want to do all these things and there's no money involved? No, we just want to serve. He says, hang on just a second. Let me go ask my manager. So he goes and asks the manager. He comes back and he says, uh, sir, uh, we, we, can't, we can't let you do that. I'm sorry. Because if we let you do that, then we have to let everyone do that. And it's so silly, true story, by the way, so silly that that would be amazing if we were all rushing to try to get the door for each other, if we were all looking for ways to serve each other, if we were looking for ways to be generous and give, doesn't that sound a little bit like, hmm, maybe heaven? Maybe the economy of heaven on earth. Well, we are in this current series that I'm calling Discovering the Mysteries of the Kingdom. And see, these mysteries or secrets that Jesus had, he talks about them in Matthew 13. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. So he's saying, these are secrets, but I'm putting them right out there in the, in the open so you could find them. If you're willing to listen, if you're willing to watch my life, you're going to find these secrets to building my kingdom, to living a life that I show you how to live. So as we're going through this series, I think all of our books, maybe except for one, have been snapped up. This is a book called Jesus Secrets for Advancing the Kingdom Today. And it's written by Lynn Corey. If you want to grab a Kindle copy, I think it might be free on Kindle, but it's really cheap on Amazon if you want to grab it. Every week, our messages for eight weeks will correspond with this little guide right here. So you want to look at that? It's really short chapters, like six or seven pages. Anybody could read it. Anybody could do it if you want it. There it is right there, a real resource for you. But today we're going to talk about what is chapter three in the book and message sermon number three, discovering the secrets of serving like Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at what Jesus said and what he did in the upper room. And that last supper, we realize that Jesus was setting an example for us to follow. He wasn't just coming to die on the cross, although we're really glad he did. But he was also trying to show us how to live. We're also going to see, as Jesus says and does serving, my prayer is that we're going to be inspired and challenged to actually up our serving game and change our heart posture, that we would look for opportunities. We'd pray for opportunities to serve and give to each other. I think in this past season, we've been really tempted to be self-focused. And I think there is, it's time to be intentional about being others-focused. So our main passage is going to be on the screen, or you can turn in your digital or your paper, paper Bibles. If you're online, welcome. We're really, really glad you've joined us. John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So Jesus 
knew. This is in the perfect tense in the Bible, in the, in the Greek. He knew. He knew before, he knew then, and he will know in the future. He perfectly knows. He's sure of what? What can he know? He's sure of his calling, that he's come to not only live his life as an example, but to die. And his motivation for dying is love. The full extent of his love, to the end. He loved them to the end is another way to translate this. And Jesus is coming very, very close to the end at this point. He's only really hours away from dying. Then Jesus gives an example of what this full extent of love might look like. Take a look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So what's going on here? We've got the Last Supper. You've seen Leonardo da Vinci's painting. It looked just like that, I'm quite sure. Not. And Judas is a greedy, power-hungry person. We know John tells us along the way, Judas has been taking from the money bag for himself. He's got an identity problem. He thinks that he's supposed to be one of the people on thrones reigning with Jesus. He's not willing to serve others. But Jesus knows this. Jesus is also confident in his standing with God. His identity is solid. So then, because his identity is so solid, he can serve in radical ways, not have it shake any confidence in his leadership or his position. And this is true for us. When we're confident in who God created us to be, we're confident as sons and daughters of God, of the King of heaven. When we're clear about that kind of security that we have, We don't fear in losing anything when we serve others. Understanding our identity is so important to stepping out and serving and giving our life away. Bill Johnson says this, royalty is my identity. That would be being sons and daughters of the king of heaven. Servanthood is my assignment. That's what we're talking about this morning. Intimacy with God is my life source. It's a good word. So our identity is critical for our serving one another. And if you have orphan thinking, you just go, I don't know who I am. And I don't feel like I'm a loved son or a loved daughter. I got to fight and scratch and claw and grab for every good thing. I'm not trusting God to provide it. Then serving others will seem like a picture of weakness. But in the kingdom, when you serve, you're declaring your faith and love in our heavenly father that he knows how to provide and protect you. He'll make sure you have enough. You can give things away because you know the God who continues to provide for your needs. And you don't have to worry about looking like a servant, having a reputation problem, because your sense of self-worth doesn't come from what everybody in the world says. It comes from what God says about you. If we approached our relationships knowing that we have all we need from God, I think we would demand a whole lot less from everybody around us. And we would be apt to serve more. And where do we get this idea that Jesus knows? What does Jesus know about his identity? Well, I'm just going to refer to, you can read it later, but Daniel 7 talks about the Messiah, Jesus, 
And he says, he went before the ancient of days and inherits all things. So there in the Old Testament, it tells us the Messiah knows he's inherited all things. He knows who he is. So knowing all things, since he has such a strong place of identity, he's not worried about his reputation. He knows his position will not get tarnished. It will not be overlooked because he starts doing something very lowly. What does he do? Verse four. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Think about getting out of the pool and you put that towel around your waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he sets aside his outer garment. He's taking on the posture of a servant or a slave. This idea of tethemi, the the laying aside of your garment, is the same word where Jesus lays aside his own life in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd tethemi. He lays down his life for the sheep. When we serve others, we lay our own agenda, our own wants, our own things aside to serve. And what would the dinner look like? Well, it would look like this. Here's a couple pictures for you. Laying on couches, reclining on your elbow like this, your feet are behind you. It was a custom that when you came into a dinner like this, the host would provide a servant to clean off the dirt and the dung and the grossness from your feet. Have you ever been camping before and you wear tevas or flip-flops and all of a sudden your feet are like, oh, wow, you gotta wash your feet before you get in your sleeping bag? This is one of those moments. Walking on dusty roads. And this was such a lowly, crummy job that... Oftentimes, they wouldn't even let Jewish slaves do this. They would pick a non-Jew to do this. This is the lowest of the low. In Luke 7, Jesus comes to Simon the Pharisee's house, and he comes for dinner. And Simon apparently doesn't provide anyone to wash his feet. But in the midst of that, actually, someone comes, a woman comes and begins to wash Jesus's feet with her tears and her hair. So it was an insult to not provide someone. And if if this was done by a wife or a child or or a teacher in this case with Jesus, this would be a a symbol of extreme devotion. And this would be like the ultimate, like, I am devoted to you. Each of the disciples had an opportunity to wash each other's feet. They didn't do it. And it's interesting because if you look at the passages right before this, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, and even, even James and John are like, hey, mom, can you go lobby for us to see if we can get this, the spots on the right and the left? They're all trying to jockey for position, including Judas Iscariot, who's been influenced by the enemy of his soul. But Jesus comes in the opposite spirit. He does the opposite of what the world does. And he says, no, I'm going to serve. I'm not going to be afraid of my reputation if I do this. So Jesus, the God man, serves others. Where else do we see this? Mark 10, verse 42 through 45. So Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers in this world, they lord it over other people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under him, under them. But among you, it will be different. You got to look different than the world. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, this is why I came, so that I could serve. 
If anyone ever had the right to be served, it's Jesus. But even Philippians 2 tells us he lets go of his divine rights in order to serve, to, be, to take on the form of a servant. So what, are, what is the response of his disciples in him doing this crazy, humble thing? Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. So he's making the, the rounds around their feet. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you not, do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You see, receiving from Jesus was embarrassing to Peter. To have the king of kings wash his feet was so humbling. It required so much humility for Peter. By the way, not Peter's greatest quality probably is humility. And Jesus says, you don't have the right perspective here. You're not getting it. And Peter is unable to receive this gift of service. But just within a week before this, Jesus has modeled what it looks like to receive. John 12, verses 3 through 8. I'm just going to read it to you. You can look at the pretty picture in the, in the background. When Mary took a pint of pure nard, it was expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, one of the disciples, Jesus, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Or it was worth a year's wages. He's thinking, I missed out on the cut of that. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Dun, dun, dun. A keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replies. Here's Jesus, how he receives this kind of gift. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus has already shown Peter how to humbly receive. And it does require humility to receive. Verse eight. No, said Peter, which is actually a double negative. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. And, you know, Simon Peter, for as thick as he is and kind of stubborn, he reverses course immediately fast. Then Lord, uh, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Just go ahead and give it to me. Give me the super soaker. I need all of it. So what's going on here? Never. It's the double negative in the Greek. This is like, nope, we're never going to do this. And the way that this is worded, the emphasis is in not on being washed, but who washes you. And in fact, Jesus is the one who has to wash you. If you don't submit to me, Jesus says, if you don't accept ministry of Jesus in your life, you, you don't understand that you need to be cleansed, you won't have a part of his kingdom. And it's true for us. Jesus offers his life to the fullest to you. He offers salvation to you, but you've got to receive it. And Peter says, I'm willing I'm going to give you all of myself. Good answer, Peter. You to, it took you a while, but you get there. And we learn so much from these guys that are working without the benefit of the Holy Spirit living inside them, right? So some of us love serving. Some of you, this is like your sweet spot. But you have a really hard time receiving when other people serve you, don't you? Is there anybody out there that's like that? You'd rather serve someone else than receive from them. Skipping to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is saying, look, I've lived this out, loving you to the full extent so that you can see what it looks like. Imitate me, do what I did. And by the way, humility is required for the serving and the receiving. Verse 16, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is emphasizing the humility involved in obedience. And yet he's also emphasizing the joy and blessing that comes out of obedience. We see that in John 15, if you want to read more about that. The fact that your joy is being made complete when you step into obedience to doing what Jesus says. So the willingness to serve is one indicator of humility. Not every, but Matthew 23, 11 and 12. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So where do we go with this message? Well, first of all, Martin Luther King said this. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Love that. Albert Schweitzer on serving and happiness. He says this, I do not know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know is the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Jesus is talking to his disciples and ultimately he's talking about the key leaders, the apostles of his church. So for us leaders, this serving aspect is critically important for us to understand. Love this quote by Bishop Dale Bronner. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Oh, that'll challenge you just a little bit. Titles mean nothing. The one with the servant's heart is the real leader. I love this Max Dupree quote. It says this, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. And living our life focused on ourself, unwilling to serve others and see that as being critical for our Jesus following, it's like leaning your ladder against the wrong building. I saw this Thomas Merton quote. He was a, a monk. He said this, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So we're going to talk practically about how to love others through serving. But first of all, I want to show you how not to do it, especially as we endeavor to try to figure out how to love our actual neighbors here in our city. So take a look. It's your neighbors, Jim and Julina Sanders. From next door. How are you? Hey, hey, we totally know that you don't like going to church with us, so we're not even here to invite you to no. church, all right? We're not even here to tell you the four little happy hops to heaven. No. We're not even here to, to sell you fire insurance. Yeah. You know, from down there. Get that hell. Yeah. 
no, no, no. Hey, 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 hey. Honestly, honestly, yeah. what we want to do right now is we just want to serve you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. Oh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hold the phone, hold the phone. Now we know that you don't get us. No. And why should you? You're a heathen. That's we get right. that, alright? Yeah. yeah. So what we want to do is just be here to understand you and to serve you in yeah. some ways. You know, what can we do for you? That's what Jesus asked all the time. Yeah. Now we noticed on your mailbox that you had some balloons out there. Did someone die? Did someone die? Can we offer some condolences? No. Oh, you had a baby. Oh, oh. oh. Pink means joyfulness. I, I yeah, get it. I, get it. I told you. <laughs> okay. Now how about this? Can we wash something for you? You're yeah, probably tired. That's a great idea. Maybe we could wash your dishes. Yeah, or, or, or wash your car. W w wash, wash the lawn. Wash, wash the mailbox. mailbox. Wash the dog. Oh. <laughs> we, the dog. we could even wash the washer for you. Not. Oh, he said not. I love putting that word at the end of a sentence. Oh, do it again. Do it again. I got nothing. Not. Oh. You see what I did? I brought the comedy back around. I brought the comedy. I'm sorry. No, really. How about we not do any of no. that, but we just come to do what we should do and let us just wash your feet? Yeah, because you know, Je wait, hang on. I'm not done. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and so we want to wash your feet. Yeah, we, we know you're not our disciple. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. All right, one more do is I just got this water basin here yeah. and I just want to wash your foot. Yeah. All right, now stick out so your big toe. Just stick out your big toe. Come on, no, no. This will be over in just a minute. If yeah, you just, it's get, just take yeah. a second. Okay, now I got the shoe. Now just give me your toe. Yeah, all right, just, come on, just give me your toe. Well, that's a fine howdy do. I know. All right, well, we'll just leave the shoe here. We'll leave the brownies. I guess we'll go next door. Okay, can I can I talk more this time? It's not your place, baby. Okay. What a friend we have in Jesus. Yeah, don't be like the Sanders, as it turns out. Don't be weird, don't be creepy. But how can we serve? I was thinking about the, the practical implications of this. Uh, for those of us who are married, trying to figure out how to serve our spouse can be a, a tricky thing. I've only been married for 29 years, but I can tell you, I think I need another 29 to figure some stuff out. But one of the things I've learned is that we all have different love languages, and that's one of the things that you can actually study and look at. You can go online and just type in five love languages quiz. You can take a quiz, and you can have your spouse take a quiz and find out what their love language is. Because if, if you think buying them flowers or giving them gifts is their love language and they, they don't feel served by that, then maybe you need to get a little more information so you can serve more appropriate to the way that they receive. Or at work, what would it look like for you to be a, more of a servant at work? I know my son volunteered to clean the bathroom for his boss. His boss comes to me and says, you're not gonna believe this, but your son actually volunteered to do this. I never have my employees do it. I feel like it's too low. And he actually volunteered to do it. I'm thinking, way to go, son. Good job, buddy. At least you got that right. Right, Michael? Or what about covering a shift for others? Now, I know all of you don't have shifts to cover, but oftentimes that's such a gracious way to love someone to serve them. And that means it's your, you're going to have to give up some of your time off, but it's so gracious. I think it opens the door for relationship. And about your neighbors. We've got this little thing going back and forth with our neighbors on taking the trash cans out for each other. And most of the time, I'm the one who gets them put out. But oftentimes, the single gal next door beats me to the punch and brings them back, all back in, hers and ours. Sometimes it's blowing leaves, not into your neighbor's yard, so it makes a mess, but actually blowing their yard 
and putting all those leaves in a pile so that the city can pick them up or so you can put them in the yard waste. Or just pulling weeds for your next door neighbor because their flower bed's right there. Those are really tangible things. I was talking to my life group this week about this. Oftentimes, I don't know how many of you are in a life group, but this is like really where you get some rich ideas and hear how others are processing how to live out what God says. And I was talking to the group and Denise, who's in our group, refers to serving as a point in time as if you're, think about a spider web and in the intersection of those webs, you have that little dewdrop. And serving is like one of those moments that God ordains and puts together that two people are coming and they, their paths intersect and you have an opportunity to respond to a need. And it's the Lord taking two people on a journey and their paths just coming together for a moment. Serving doesn't mean making a long-term, life-term, lifetime commitment to doing stuff for someone. It's a moment in time where I believe the Holy Spirit leads you to be others-focused. It's a moment of vulnerability because humility is required for both sides. And then we move on. But moments matter. Sometimes moments of sacrifice, moments that you don't think are a big deal, can actually make a lasting impact for years. Let me tell you about a moment that happened to me. So I met three new friends in Ireland at church one Sunday. They took me out to lunch at the Thatch, which is there in Northern Ireland. And so we're having lunch. And one of them says, I feel like the Lord is showing me something. Can I share it with you? It was a moment. I had never met these people before in my life. And they, one began to share and began describing my relationship to neighborhood church perfectly through an illustration. It was striking. I began to my eyes began to well up with tears. And then the other two began to share parts of more of a picture that gave me an idea on what God was calling me to in the next season. It was a powerful moment that they shared with me and that they took a risk and said, I, I think this is what God is saying. And it was so confirming. I walked away from that lunch going, I know that I know that I know that God sees me. He loves me. He has a plan. He's not forgotten me. And he's leading me into the future. And he's going to use me. I was on top of the world. This is a divine contact. It's a moment where somebody brings you across their, the Lord brings someone across your path. They speak something in or you speak something in and literally everything shifts. That's serving, even though it's so simple. Now, as I heard my friends share more about the details of things that people had done for them, how they had been impacted by serving, it was clear to me that when someone serves expecting nothing in return, it makes a massive impact. It's as simple as showing up to someone who's recovering from surgery and cleaning their kitchen. Bringing a meal with disposable containers so you don't have to figure out how to get the dishes back to people. Engaging and serving, helping, even if you don't know the people well. Jamie said, but, but how, are, how is this person gonna feel me cleaning their house for them? I'm a stranger to them. And the person working with them said, well, you won't be a stranger after this. Anticipating a need. Bringing someone's favorite food, their drink, a meal, a treat, something that you know will be a blessing for them. All this requires margins in your life. Space in your schedule 
and an expanded peripheral vision for where, where, where the needs are. Sometimes creative, creativity in serving is necessary. Jamie was sharing with us about an older gentleman with a grocery cart. And there was a little bit of a slope. And so he was having a hard time trying to get his stuff out of the cart and the cart rolling away. And knowing that she wants to preserve his dignity. She wants to help, but not make him feel like he's less than. She got very creative. And she says, oh, I would love your cart. Can I just kind of join your team and put my purse in here and I'll hold this while you unload this? Sometimes there is this fine line between helping and dignity and creativity in how we offer to help others. I know moving through a broken leg this, this year with 12 weeks of non-weight bearing, I had lots and lots of opportunities to receive people serving for me. But it was a fine balance because there was only a few things I could do. And when it was something I could do, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And sometimes I pushed back on people that wanted to serve because it's like, I want to show them that I can open the door. I got this and, and I'm struggling. And that's going to be the push and pull of serving and giving. But I can tell you when I was traveling in an airport and I was struggling so hard, people would walk over to me and said, let me help. I didn't say, oh, no, no, please don't help me. I'm trying to roll my thing and scooter and get my backpack and I'm falling over. And I thank you. It requires humility to receive. And many of us need to grow in the receiving as much as the serving. Last thought. We need to do life together before a need arises. It's much easier to know what would be a blessing when you know the person beyond the need. Then you can show up with the things that they love and push past their difficulty in receiving because sometimes we've got to push past their difficulty in receiving. We did a wedding. We were involved in a wedding last weekend. And Weddings are interesting because they reveal someone's heart for serving. So it began to rain very hard in the midst of this wedding. And there were people leaving. And yet there were also people saying, I got a pop-up tent. I'll do that. I'll help out with that. People who were willingly drenched trying to save the day, engaging, doing whatever they could. Some people were speaking words of comfort and wisdom and praying for the bride and the groom and the others that were affected by this. Others were running around organizing, but so many of us were serving. And there's so much joy in that. And at the end of the night, most of us jumped into the pool just to show the bride and the groom that this was a completely different experience and that we were fully enjoying it. I don't know who the people that you call, are called to serve, but I'm just praying that God will raise our discernment that we might see needs and be willing to love and serve. So if you'd stand with me, prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we'd love to pray for you about whatever is going on in your life. Just believing uh, for good things as we start walking this out because it's time for us to show the world what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And part of that is serving one another. So Lord, I just believe you're good. Your faithfulness endures for all generations. You have each of us 
exactly where you have placed us. You've been intentional about putting us in our places of work, where we live, in our families. And so would you just help us to be soft-hearted and willing to serve? We wouldn't get caught up in the entitlement of others or whether someone's deserving or not. Teach us how to empty ourselves like you did, Jesus. Take the form of a servant and love. So I pray a blessing on our church family and everyone who's hearing on the stream. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming in person and on the stream. We'll see you next week.